let this drive our prayer time this morning. I urge you, first of all, that all petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all the people. So why would that be the case? Because God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. When it says, I, I urge that all petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all the people. And we live in such a world that life is not valued. And what this is a reference to is from conception to old age, that we would value life and that we would treat one another with respect because God formed us, He knew us, He has plans to give us a future and a hope. And it's important that we pray for one another so that the, uh, everybody would come to know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would acknowledge that life comes from you and you alone. And that you know us, you knew us from the very beginning, and you have plans to give us a future and a hope. And Father, we pray that our world would recognize how important it is to value life. And Father, for those who were killed yesterday, God, I pray that their their families would, would come to know you and put their hope and trust in you. Father, we pray against uh, anyone who would take life. And God, I pray that racism would, would begin to stop and that there would be a recognition of how important it is that we value one another, not because of what we think, but because of what you think about us. God, may we praise you. You desire that all would come to know you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see you this morning. I want to let let you know that we have uh, about 80 people missing this morning from uh, missing in here. They are in the flip side at one of the most important events, in my opinion, that our church does when parents are able to bless their their graduating uh, students. And they get to pray. They get to pray over their children. I call them children. That's what is over their students. I'm sure they don't appreciate that. Uh, But they get to pray over their babies. And they get to speak a word of blessing, which uh, I I don't know if you uh, were fortunate to have been reared in a home where your dad and your mom spoke a blessing over you and said, this is what I see in you, this is what I value in you. But this is, we're giving every parent an opportunity to do that in our student ministry. And so it's just an amazing opportunity. So... uh, as you think about it, pray that that goes well and is received well, and uh, pray for the parents. Usually, the kids are fine. It's the parents who are a blubbering mess, and, uh, but it's, it's a, great, a great event for all of us. Uh, before we jump into it, let me speak to those uh, online. You'll, we're going to receive communion at the end of the service, and so you'll want to find something that you'll be able to participate with us and get that ready uh, so that at the appropriate time, you can participate with us as well. So in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, this is where our, our, our whole text has been uh, driven from. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. And remember last week we talked about this all-surpassing. It means super eminence, abundance, far more exceeding, more excellent, beyond, out of measure. And then the power, the word is a dynamo, which we get the word dynamite from. And so the word power means dynamic, miraculous power, worker of miracles, strength, 
mighty, wonderful work. So in my version, I made one up. Here's how it would read. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this super eminence, far more exceeding, all-surpassing, dynamic, miraculous power is from God and not us. And this is true of every follower of Jesus Christ. And what the person we're going to talk about today is going to blow your mind because if this can happen to this person, if they could be so far away from God and turn to God, there is, it, it's just going to blow you away. It's going to be one of the most exciting times because God often meets us most powerfully when we're willing to, to admit that we don't have the resources that we need. So this series is about turnarounds. It's about second, third, and fourth chances. It's about fresh starts. It's about new directions. It's about jars of clay being filled with the super eminence, far beyond, far more exceeding, more excellent, dynamic, miraculous power, worker of miracles, mighty, wonderful work of God who's in us. So today I want to talk about one of the most prominent people in the Bible. In fact, more is written about him and from him other than Jesus And it is Paul who was formerly called Saul. So let me just run through how Paul would... uh, This is how Paul uh, described himself early on. Listen to this. In Philippians 3, verses 4 to 6. In fact, you may want to take your Bibles because we're going to come back to the Philippians passage, uh, page 1180. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh... I have more. I mean, this guy is the guy. If it's to be, it's up to me. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I've got it handled. I'm a self-made person. I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, a part of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. We'll leave the verse up on the on the screen, but... Uh, Dr. Bob Utley with freebiblecommentaries.org. I use that almost every week, freebiblecommentaries.org. And it just talks about the background of, of language, the Hebrew, the Greek, and it helps us to understand what it means for today. It's a fantastic uh, resource. So when he talks about the word if, if anyone has confidence in themselves, when he uses the word if, it's meant in the literal to say, if this is true from the author's perspective. So let's talk arrogance. How about that? Would that be all right to say that Paul was just an arrogant person? And he said, if anybody could, uh, could be better than anybody else, from my standpoint, I am the man. And then he brags about he was circumcised the eighth day, which is the law for the Jews. They would be circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. That means he has the privileges of Jewish people. So he's building this case, this resume. From the tribe of Benjamin, this is the tribe of Israel's first king, Saul. That's a big deal. As to the law, a Pharisee. Now, these Pharisees kept the law. They, were, they took the Mosaic law. And they added all these extra things to it. Actually, I think it's about 633 additional little things for people to be able to keep uh, the Old Testament law. And so he says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee, meaning I kept the rules. I did everything that I was supposed to do. And then he says, as to zeal, he was driven. We'll see this in just a moment. And he goes on to say, and I was a persecutor of the church. This is amazing. Paul was so anti-Christ 
that he was persecuting anyone who stood up to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's so far away from God, you would never be able to expect this guy God is going to use. Listen, I don't know how you feel about yourself this morning, but maybe if you came to the conclusion to say, God won't use me because, and fill in the blank, God won't use me because you've come on the right morning. Because no one could be as far away from God as Paul was, Saul at the time. God changed his name to Paul. You could not be that far away and still and, and come to Jesus, but he made it possible for him. So as we see this, he, then he finishes up, he says, As to righteousness, which is, his, which is the law, I am found blameless. Now, I don't want to give him too much uh, credit at this point. He's talking about blameless. He uses the word which was uh, uh, reminiscent of the Old Testament sacrificial lamb. So they found a lamb that was blameless. And so in this law, what it means is that he was, as far as regarding the law, he kept the law. He wasn't saying he was sinless. So in the following passage, I want you to see what this arrogant guy who was totally anti-Christ I want you to see a little bit about his lifestyle. Acts 7, verse 59, page 1099. Acts 7, 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen, he, Stephen is going to be the first martyr for the, Christian, uh, for the Christian way. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Again, incredible the, the way that God works in people's lives to being stoned, and yet they say, God, will you make sure that you don't hold this against them? I don't. I forgive them. This, this is just incredible. Incredible that he would do that. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. Verse 8, I mean, chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was there giving his approval to his death, cheering it on, in other words. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So godly men buried Stephen, mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going, listen to how what he did, going from house to house. He would drag people off and put them in prison. He is so far away from God. It gets better, kind of, worse really. Acts 9 verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked them for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he gets this, uh, this, this, the, the right to go ahead and arrest anybody and take them from Damascus to Jerusalem, which was about 50 miles. But it's interesting in this thing, he says, if he finds anyone who has belonged to the way. You see, Christians were not called Christians first when they first became the followers of Jesus. They were called followers of the way. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I am the way. A couple of weeks ago when I was taking some Parkinson treatments, I met a guy um, and I, I developed a relationship with him, 
and he was a nominal believer, if that at all. And it, toward the end, he said, I, I want to talk to you, Tim. I want to talk to you about religion. And I said, sure, that's great. I'll, I can do that. And uh, so I, I had been praying for this guy because I did, they didn't know me. I, I, as I, I try to live out what I tell you to do, that wherever God has you, you're saying, I'm there for a reason. God knew from the, from the foundation of the earth he knew I would be at this place at this time surrounded by these other patients. And so I thought, man, God, I just don't want to over, overwhelm this guy. So I just was a friend to him. And toward the end of the two weeks, he said, I want to talk to you. As he said, he said, now, what's the difference between all the other religions and Christianity? And I said, one word, Jesus. Jesus is the only one who lived and died and was raised again from the dead. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Everything rises and falls on Jesus. Everything. And so we, we follow Jesus because of, of who he said he was and what we see happen in his life. And if you were here for Easter, we gave an apologetic message on that. But it was an opportunity to talk to him. Well, these followers were called followers of the way. But they, they became known as Christians later on in Antioch because they were, it was actually a derogatory term. They were saying, ah, oh, look at the little Christ, look at the little Christ, look at the little Christians, look at the little Christians. So Christian means Christ-like. Look at the people who are little Christs. And so Paul is going, it's not hard to find them. It's not hard to find these folks because they're members of the way. They live a different lifestyle. Now, keep in mind, Paul is very religious. He desperately believes in what he's doing. And he was trying to live by law, by the rules and regulations. And basically, there are three ways to approach getting right with God. One is the scorecard approach, which is if I just do more than bad at the end... Then, uh, then God will reward me. If I do less than good, then I will spend eternity in hell. And so there's that constant fear of, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I done enough? The second way is transactional approach. That's more uh, uh, vending machine kind of God, where you put in so many actions, and then God owes you E3 or whatever it is. I guess in this case, E7. So... He, would, he, would, he owes you for doing this. Well, both of those fall very short because it is not the way God operates because we saw in our opening passage in First Timothy that God desires that all people come to know him and it's through what he's done for us, not what we've done for ourselves. And the third approach is what we're about to find out is to follow the way, to follow Jesus, to let his life take over and to be in awe of him. Ephesians 3, 2, 8 and 9 says, God saved you by his grace, not by scorecards, not by transactions. God saved you by his grace when you believed so that you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation, here it is, is not a reward for good things we have done so nobody can boast. Uh Uh-oh, Paul's in big trouble because he's got a resume of boasts. In Acts chapter 3, listen to this, verse 3. 
as he was approaching Damascus on this mission trip, going to find the people of the way, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Please don't miss this. Look at this end of verse 4. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus so identifies with people who are being persecuted that to persecute them is to persecute him. He identifies that much with it. Well, as you keep reading in Acts, God changes his name from Saul to Paul. And then Paul began to follow and share Jesus. And I want you to notice the change of perspective. Philippians 3, you're familiar with this. We just read it. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day of of the people of Israel. Out of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Listen to what happens. Listen to this change. Verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable. I once thought making, trying to make life work apart from God is the way to go. To not put my hope and trust in anything but me and myself. I I consider them now worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Wow, what a change of perspective once he came in contact with Jesus. He realized that his hope is in Christ Alone. In fact, in the last part of verse 8, it says, For this, for his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. The word is dung in the, in the, in the Greek, and I'm putting it nicely. Thank you. The only way a person can view life from this perspective is to see how valuable Christ is. So how valuable is Christ? And we're, we'll, we'll take communion in a few moments. And when you take it, I want you to think about this. How valuable is Christ to you? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So when Jesus came, he was God. He's the visible image of the invisible God. Listen to this about Jesus. Jesus existed before anything was created And he's supreme over all creation. For through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Jesus made the things we can see. Jesus made the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. And Christ is head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning. He's the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. First in everything. For Paul, the law was first. 
It was his heritage that was first. And the question we would want to ask you, what are you putting your hope and trust in? And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's still easy for us to look horizontally for our hope and our help. And this is, this is so, so important for us to realize our hope is in Christ so that he becomes first. He becomes center. He becomes, he becomes the lens by which we treat our spouses, by the way we treat our kids, by the way we treat our grandkids, by the way we work, by the way we interact with other people, that we would have Christ first. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Wow. Be in awe of who he is, of who Jesus is alone. You might just jot Colossians 1, 15 to 20 down and just allow that to be the starting of your, of your prayer time every morning to recognize how awesome he is. And then the best part is he invites you to the table. He invites you to, to, uh, to, to be fully his. He invites you to, forgive you to forgive your sins. He invites us to receive forgiveness through the bread and through the drink. It represents Christ's body which is broken on the, on the cross and the blood which is spilled for us. And apart from him, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that one we just read about, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is why life matters. This is why there's such a sacredness to life because God has created us and he has plans to give us eternal life and God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Notice Notice here the change of perspective. If we place our confidence in our accomplishments or in anything other than Christ, we will find it impossible to thrive when things don't go well. You never know what's in the tea bag till it's dropped into hot water. Heat reveals where our hope lies. Our confidence is in to be in Christ alone. So as I close, let me just quickly summarize, and I want you to see from beginning to end how the life change happened in Paul's life. Philippians 4, 3, 4, and 5, 3, 4, and 6. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more as far as legalist righteousness. I am faultless, so terribly self-centered, self-directed, Directed ego myopic. That was to represent him. Acts 7, we know that meanwhile the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was there giving approval. So we see him taking the lives of others. Saul began to destroy the church. But notice the, er, the, the post-conversion. So years later, after he comes to know Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, he calls himself, I am the least of the apostles. Oh my word. From I am who's who and I'm everybody's everybody's salvation. I am the man. He's now saying, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. 
but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Man, this is huge. Whatever you say, God will never use me because I've done whatever, or I've been away from him for whatever. Oh, boy, what a, what a day to turn to Jesus. But by the grace of God, you are what you are, and his grace to you will not go without effect. He'll make a change in your life. So this was in his early years, 1 Corinthians 15. He calls himself the least of the apostles. Listen to this, almost before he dies, as a senior adult, listen how he describes himself now as a mature follower of Jesus. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. From I am the least of the apostles, now I am the worst of sinners. Amazing. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. This is for us. Unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. In just a minute, we'll, we'll pray a prayer. And you have an opportunity to recognize the awe of Jesus and receive him. We're not relegated to what we were. Paul's past wasn't something to be celebrated, but it was something God would use. Louis Giglio puts it this way. Maybe you're going to be one who burst faith in the whole generation of people. Maybe you thought you'd lost your shot to be a part of what God's doing. But God is saying, oh, no, you haven't. You're going to have such a big role in my future, plans for my people. It's going to amaze you. I'm the one who changed Saul to Paul. I changed people's names. I changed people's destiny. And I can do that in your life as well. It is available to everyone who's here. Regardless of your past. It's God. It's all about Jesus. So I'm going to invite all of us to pray this prayer. Jesus, right now, I choose to trust you with all of my life. I've tried to make life work apart from you, and it's not working. My life is full of sin, and I can't do enough good on my own. I admit that because of my sin, I need hope. So here I am. I lay my past, my present, my future wide open before you. Thank you for giving your life for me, paying the full balance of my shortcomings by dying on the cross And rising from the grave, I trust you with my life. Maybe this will be the first time you've ever prayed that prayer to receive Jesus. And for those of us who are already followers of Jesus, there may be areas of our life that we've realized, I've been looking horizontally instead of vertically. So let's pray this aloud all together. Jesus, right now, I choose to trust you with all of my life. I've tried to make life work apart from you, and it's not working. My life is full of sin, and I can't do enough good on my own. I admit that because of my sin, I need hope. So here I am. I lay my past, present, and future wide open before you. Thank you for giving your life for me, paying the full balance of my shortcomings by dying on the cross and rising from the grave.
I trust you with my life. Amen. Father, may we see amazing turnarounds, second, third, fourth chances. May we see new jars of clay that may be weak on the outside but full of treasure on the inside because of you. Father, I pray that if we're putting our hope and trust in anything or anyone other than you, that you'd reveal that to us so we can confess that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll receive communion together. We can come down the middle aisle two, two different ways. Uh, and I want you to pause and just ponder the awe of God. As you come and receive the bread, be in awe that he gave his life for you. As you drink of the, of the juice, be in awe that all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. So as you drink that juice, be in awe that we are able to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So any those of you who are followers of Jesus, or maybe this morning you invited Jesus to come to your heart for the first time, uh, that's all that's necessary for you to receive communion. Uh, we do have gluten-free uh, available, so we don't want anyone to miss out. So as soon as we uh, get settled here uh, on the front and our music starts, feel free to come and receive communion.